Are you older than me? I don't know. I'm pretty old. Isn't that amazing? Hey, easy now. Easy. Well, we have um, some road to travel this morning, and I'm going to try to be as brief as I can um, because we have uh, the opportunity of hearing from a young man uh, in our community who has an amazing testimony about the transformative power of the gospel, something that we've been talking about extensively if you've been here for the last four to five Sundays. And we're going to kind of continue that conversation this morning a bit. Um, If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I'm officially starting my timer to make sure I get us out of here to be with our families and friends and loved ones. Matthew chapter 16. Um, We're going to be reading uh, verses 13 through 17 briefly. Are you there? I'm in the ESV, just in case you're wondering. It's page, no, never mind. Um, A little little humor um, to start us off. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. Now, this is just as equally important to Peter's response as Jesus' reply. He says this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has. You know, I can't help but just interject this thought. That question that Jesus asked his disciples that day is a question that eventually all of us at one point or the other will answer. Either on this side of eternity or the next. Who do you say that I am will be asked. The Bible says that every lip and every tongue will confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of when you confess it. The Greek word or the Greek text for the word you has enormous stress placed upon it. In fact, the word you should really go at the first of the sentence. It's as if Jesus is saying this, but you who have followed me and have known me from the beginning, you who know me, my 12 closest friends, who do you say that I am? This is, in fact, the most important, if not the greatest question in the entire cosmos of which every living being at one point or the other will answer. Did you ever notice that when uh, Jesus asks a question or You know, if it came down to lopping off someone's ear, (laughs) you know, if it came down to building a monument, you know, when the disciples or three of Jesus' closest friends are up there on the Mount Transfiguration and there appears before them Moses and Elijah just hanging out with Jesus. You ever just witnessed the fact that Peter is full of zeal, quick to answer, quick to lop, quick to move, quick to go, quick to go. But here, Peter is not just speaking on his own behalf. He's speaking for all of the disciples. His answer, if you study it out, and we don't have the time to really get into the 
the, 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 the soup and bolts of it. It's an old saying my dad used to say. Sorry if you can't relate. Um, but he's being very specific. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The word the is repeated four times. You could translate it like this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, the living one. Peter was saying, I know who you are, Jesus. I know you. You are the Messiah. You are the one sent to save us. Everything necessary in Jesus, and, and excuse me, Peter's response to Jesus, everything necessary for salvation is captured in Peter's response to Jesus. <laughs> Peter is the first person in human history to speak out loud, to make an open profession of faith of who Christ is. To me, that is remarkable. That's remarkable. But the question I think I ask myself, the train of thought that seems to unwind a little bit in my brain, it kind of leads me to the place of asking myself, does it really matter what I believe about Jesus does it really matter? I hope that some point in this message, some point in this service, that you can honestly assess and even ask yourself that question. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, a great book that I recommend everyone get. He writes this in this book. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claims to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, Lewis writes. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would be far from a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with some man who says he's a poached egg. It's an interesting analogy, I guess. He goes on to write, or else he would be the devil of hell of which Jesus was accused of. So Lewis writes, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or even something worse. You can't, or excuse me, you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet, and claim him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not attend to. This bids the question to me, in my mind, to be almost right about Jesus, to simply say Jesus was just a great moral teacher and deny his deity, is getting it totally wrong about Jesus. Because today, this morning, friend, we are not saved because of our good opinions about Jesus. We are not saved because we have good feelings about Jesus. We are not saved because we like His moral teaching. That is not enough. We are saved today because we have entrusted our entire lives, our entire being to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
by his death and his resurrection, something of which we are celebrating today. Hopefully, you are counted amongst those numbers who are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But by his death and resurrection, he has saved us from our sins. No matter what you believe about Jesus, the belief certainly does matter. The truth about Jesus is as weighty as this. It's the difference between heaven and hell. I know we're trying to be as chipper as I can, but really, that is the gravity. That's what's at stake here this morning. You know, despite some isolated criticism, excuse me, to the contrary, one key aspect of Christ is that we must agree that he was actually a historical figure. In studying this week and preparing for this Sunday, I can't believe what's out there, what's written, what commentary exists about the deity of Jesus. The world is so quick to just write him off as some fortune cookie teller and totally disregard his divinity. But I've read some that even disregard the historical evidence that Christ actually existed. He really did live in the first century. And the New Testament contains the fullest, most reliable record of his life and ministry. It is important that we understand not only that Christ was a good moral teacher, but that we understand his nature, his claim to divinity. There are many passages to support this claims, or his claims of deity. One, for example, is Matthew chapter 9. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus forgives sin. And the accusation or the response towards him forgiving sin is, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they kind of just answered their own question, didn't they? In verse, I'm sorry, in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. In the next verse, the individuals who Jesus was interacting with at the time wanted to stone him. They started picking up stones, getting ready to throw. And the best um, explanation we have is some supposed blasphemy. In John chapter 10, 33, we see uh, the reason behind wanting to put Jesus to death. It says this in John chapter 10, 33. We are not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It's sinking in. It's not just enough to, 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 to paint this powder puff Happy, happy, you know, uh, image of Christ. He was a rebel, and his claims would either deem him as a lunatic, a crazy man, or actually the Son of God. Who do you say this morning Christ is? The truth is that some here this morning, the fact of Jesus being a real historical person isn't what trips you up, isn't what gets us all confused. The fact that Jesus existed isn't even hard to reconcile. His claims of divinity, of being the Son of God, is what most have a hard time with and still do. But the claims of Christ's 
divinity, his claims of being God, it's not a matter of taste. It's not meant to make us comfortable. It didn't make, it certainly didn't make these people in Jesus' day comfortable. It's designed to make us uncomfortable and to realize, to come into the realization that we are fallen beings in need of serious redemption. That's why we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. That's why we're partying. That's why I'm yelling. That's why I'm sweating. Well, I sweat all the time, but that's besides the point. Um, that's, that's, that's what has us rejoicing this morning. And, and, and not only is the resurrection backed by historical facts, it's backed by over a thousand people, some scholars believe, that actually gave witness to that ascension on that day when Christ raised from the dead. I don't know, I'm not one to dismiss facts. But to make it more relatable this morning, I want to talk about a story briefly that I think, well, in my opinion, is the most honest confession of faith in all of the New Testament. It's in Mark 9. You may be familiar with the story. Jesus' disciples are praying for a young boy who is demonically oppressed, and they cannot shake, they cannot deliver this little boy from the demonic oppression that he was facing. The father, in great um, turmoil and probably at the end of his rope, brings his son to Christ and says, hey, listen, I brought these guys to your homies. They can't get rid of this thing. Help me, God. Jesus goes on and the story lands on faith. And the man starts talking about how little faith he has. And this is his profession. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus right then and there says, man, that's all you need. Remember, Jesus in Matthew 17, 20 says, faith as a mustard seed. Don't buy the lie today that it's impossible to put your faith in your beliefs in Christ this morning. Faith as small as a mustard seed is all that Christ requires. Most of us this morning here, even myself, wrestle and struggle between belief and unbelief. We have a mixture of faith and doubt much of the time. But none of this is important to Christ. None of us have perfected faith. But thank God, as I mentioned, faith as small as a mustard seed is what's needed. Who do you say that Christ is this morning, friend? Now, to end, what is equally important to Peter's response to Jesus' question is Jesus' response to Peter. Remember, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon Barjona. Jesus' response would be closely tethered to the single most profound truth where all salvation is conceived. You see, I can work really hard this morning to try to convince you, or some of you, that putting your faith in Christ is the most 
important, dire, the, the, the greatest, greatest decision that you will ever make. Why is it important? Because for those who do not have Christ dwelling in their heart, Romans 8, 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. And not belonging to Christ is the greatest tragedy of this life and the next. When Jesus denies that flesh and blood has not revealed the true or his true identity to Peter, he is saying that mere human powers by themselves cannot recognize the true glory of Christ. Let me say that. When Jesus says that, he is saying human powers, human abilities, charisma, personality, agendas and programs cannot reveal the true glory of Christ. Neither humanity nor anyone else can open our eyes this morning to recognize the true beauty of Jesus. This was the teaching of Jesus that Paul unfolded in 1 Corinthians 2.14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm 16 minutes into this, and as far as I'm concerned, i got about seven more. Maybe ten. No. <laughs> Come on, it's Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 2, verse 14. He says, the natural man. Now listen, tune in to this broadcast station, if you could. Listen to the Word of God. It says, the natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Interestingly enough, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and Matthew 16, 17, essentially means the same exact thing. Flesh and blood cannot reveal true a spiritual or the true spiritual reality of Christ. Why cannot? Why does or cannot this happen? Why does this whatever? Why cannot flesh and blood? I don't even know how to phrase that, but you get it. But why can't it? Why? The question. Why? Because as Paul says, apart from the Spirit of God, we inevitably assess heavenly things as foolish. Even this morning to some, it's remarkable. The cross, the gospel itself is assessed as absolutely or absolute absurdity and foolishness. Apart from the work of God in our hearts, we don't like, now listen, the humiliating implications of Christianity. Now let me explain. What are those implications? What are those humbling implications of our faith today? That we are under a curse in need of a Savior. This is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. That we are dirty in need of a purifier. It's the message of Christ. That we are lost sheep in need of a shepherd. That we are sick in need of a physician. That we are rebels in need of a mediator and a reconciler. 
reconciler. And all those things have been ultimately accomplished and finished in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ask me, why do I rejoice today? Because I have fully absorbed those humiliating aspects and implications of my faith that I am indeed under a curse, but has been, but have been glorious, gloriously spared by the Savior Jesus Christ, that I am dirty, but have been purified, not by my righteousness, but by His. That I am lost. I'm a, I'm a lost little sheep. You ever wonder why Christ couldn't like make us a wolf or something? I mean, a sheep, for the love of God. But I was lost. I needed a shepherd. Completed, finished in Christ. I was sick in need of a physician. Done. I was a rebel, rebellious to God. I needed somebody to stand in the gap between my rebellion and His righteousness. And Christ did it. This morning, friend, we have been reconciled to God as His children. You ask me, who do I say that He is? Well, I think I've answered it. Now, if you don't believe me, let me just say this. The inevitable reflex of our natural antipathy toward these truths, the truths that I just listed, is blindness. That's why we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes. Listen to what Jesus said quickly in John chapter 3. He said this, light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. And men, you, I, today, love darkness rather than light. Their deeds were evil. We inevitably love darkness. That's why we can't see. That's why on that day when Peter makes this profession of faith, Christ's heart is moved because he knows right in this moment, oh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon. My Father who is in heaven has. Now, in closing, how did Jesus expect people to see his true identity as the Son of God? Let's just get one illustration out of the many. In Matthew chapter 11, 2 through 6, there lies a story of a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a man who Jesus said, you enjoyed his light, and it burned for but a season. I mean, this guy was a big, heavy hitter. He prepared the way. For Christ. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. But here's this big man in the faith struggling with doubt about the divinity of Christ. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you he who has come or shall we look for another? In other words, uh, John is saying, are you really the Messiah? The very question now that Jesus says you can only answer willingly if God reveals it to you. What does he say to John? Does he say, John, uh, go pray about it. My father will reveal my true identity. No, no, he doesn't. He says this, go tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind have received their sight. The lame walk. 
The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Now, if you can only recognize Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God by means of divine revelation of God, why does John answer, or Jesus answer John's desperate question with a human report of his power and his preaching? My answer is this simply. The absolutely indispensable work of God in revealing the Son both to John Peter that day in Matthew chapter 16 to you and to me this morning is not by adding to what we see and hear in Jesus himself. But the opening of our eyes, the opening of our hearts to taste the true divine glory of what really is there in Jesus, to not add to it, to not take it away, to take from it. My desire is that Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would open eyes that need to be opened this morning. Where, listen, you're not hopefully here just by accident. Maybe you were drugged by your mom. I don't know. Maybe you had just this epiphany. It's Easter. I should go to church. Listen, it's Easter every Sunday. Who do you say that I am will be asked of every living person at some point, at some time. Ultimately, that profession of faith can be made today, right now, right here. God willing, that profession will be made before his coming. And hopefully, that confession of faith will happen before it's too late. I want to invite a good friend of mine, Christian Gonzalez, up to the table this morning. Christian has a profound story. The reason I have asked this young man uh, to speak to us and address us this morning is because I want us to see that God's still in the business of transforming lives. Oftentimes, we've reduced it to just what we've read in a book. But this man's testimony is one that proves that God can bypass systems and religions and churches and do his work. And he still does it today. Will you open your hearts to my good friend?